from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Two on one the other way. Pedersen in on the left. Pedersen waits, feeds right, they score. Brad Richardson, 4-2 Vancouver. Pass goes to Marcheseau, behind and for Eichel. The left sidewall, up top Petrangelo, to the right, Theodore shoots, he scores! 41 seconds to go, Theodore scores his second of the period, 4-4 tie! Here's Quinn Hughes, he's got Garland, accelerates, right circle, he shoots, stick save, and the rebound is free, they score! Vancouver in overtime, Garland got to the net, Hughes whirled around on his backhand and lifted it over Leonard's pad. 5-4 Canucks, a minute into the extra period. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Hill is here as the company. Ari in the Finley Toyota Studios. Yep, Cofield. Busy day, lots to get to. It finally happened. It happened. It happened. Derek Carr got the extension. We'll break that down. Some negative energy building. But frankly, if you're a Raiders fan, you should be freaking thrilled. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. We are going to break down some baseball, talk about the weird rivalry that's been developing between Oakland and Las Vegas and why Las Vegans are buying into it. And more path to the draft. We'll cover another team later this hour as we have the draft coming up in Vegas. Starting up three days of fun and frivolity. By the way, we'll get to the road updates. That's coming up on uh, April 28th through the 30th. It's the three on Cofield and Company. A lot of afternoon baseball today. And one game has captured a lot of attention. The Dodgers on the road against the Twins. Looky here. 140 inning guy. And when he's healthy, he's good. Clayton Kershaw goes out, spins a masterful effort for seven innings, comes out, relievers close it out, 7 nothing victory for the Dodgers. Twins are kind of reeling right now out of the gates pretty slow, but the story is Clayton Kershaw was perfect through seven. Dave Roberts follows the lead of the organization. This is what they want. It's new age baseball. It's analytics, pitch counts, especially early in the season after a very limited spring training and a guy who's back could go at any moment and have him down for 30 or 60 days. Kershaw pulled in a perfect game, Adam, and people basically older than us, and I ain't young, but you boomers, God dang, you are some selfish bastards. All about individual accomplishments instead of what happens now and in the future to the team. What I guess we didn't realize how selfish you were. <laughs> well, I've seen Reggie Jackson go off on it. I just saw a tweet a couple minutes ago. Dave Roberts should be ashamed of himself to pull a legend during a perfect game. Give me a break. He could have could have had a five pitch inning in the eighth. Yeah, he also could have tweaked his back and gone down for 60 days. He's a piece of China. He's hurt all the time. Protect him. And frankly, if you didn't know how many perfect games there have been in history, would you know the number? And do you know who's pitched perfect games over the years? 23? There there are there have been 23. Okay. But do you know all the people who've pitched them? No. 
But but I mean, and, and again, for Clayton Kershaw, what's more important to his legacy? Winning more world titles and delivering in the postseason or pitching a stupid perfect game? Well, it's actually a perfect game. Um, I don't agree. It, it, well, it, it, it is. People win a championship every year. But I, I'm not disagreeing. It's a one-off. I'm not disagreeing. It's a one-off, and it's an individual accomplishment. Who cares? So team comes first. People. My generation, Gen X, the one who pumped out some of these My. millennials and Gen Zers, who are all going in the right direction. Like I said, damn you. Selfish, 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 boomers. I, I think there's plenty of conversation to be had on both sides. Now, first of all, I will Zero say, on the other side. Uh, first of all, I will say... I'm right. I will storm out my and slam that door. initial reaction was, this is ridiculous. Like, I, I have pulling arguments... Pulling him or getting mad? Uh, not let, Pulling him was ridiculous. In, in my first thought, right when it happened. And really? I, I will say that I have, there, I have a friend who used to be an obsessed baseball fan who isn't anymore... Who says his biggest problem is I don't watch games for middle relievers. Let the starters pitch. That's why I watch games. And he's off of baseball. And I texted him right away. And I'm like, you know what? I fought you on this for years. Today, you're right. This is silly. Because it is a chance for all the things we just said. Legacy, the perfect game, all those things. Now, I also I did want to hear at the time. I want to hear what Clayton Kershaw has to say. And essentially, after the game, I mean, without saying it, he said I took myself out of the game. So, so the the overreaction and the crazy Dave Roberts sucks. Like, uh, let's find out that Clayton Kershaw kind of wanted to. And what he said essentially was like spring training started like three weeks ago. He threw 101 total pitches in spring. <laughs> right. Right. I, I like I threw not, 80 in the game. I'm not ready to go. And it's time to get off the field. Really? Now, if you, if you really pay attention to baseball, maybe you don't. And this won't make as much sense. But if you really, really pay attention to baseball, I have two words. And it's all you have to say to say the Dodgers 100% made the right decision. Johan Santana. Yep. And if, for people that don't know, Johan Santana was unbelievable. Unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. The guy was phenomenal. Well, the Mets did what they did to almost all of their good pitchers, especially their young ones. They let him stay in to try to finish a no-hitter. 137 pitches, I think it was? Yeah, let him tra- stay in to try to finish a no-hitter. Done. And his career was essentially over. Yep. And, like, that is what you're kind of weighing. Now, I, I heard the counter of, as I just kind of pointed out at the beginning, it's only happened 23 times in the history of baseball. People win titles every year. Perfect game trumps World Series. Okay, maybe. But again, I think this was I think this whole argument is moot because you have to listen to what the player says. And it sounds like Clayton Kershaw was basically like, I wasn't ready. I couldn't go two more innings. We had to make this decision. And I think he would have What he says isn't important. Yeah, of course. It's a chance to get after you young whippersnappers and your analytics and your pitch counts and your love of relievers and especially Dave Roberts. That be careful. Be careful. Yeah. We have a story coming up on a brawl last night sure. between benches. Sure. Be careful. So I, I I, am not, like, as much as I would have, God, I don't like the Dodgers, but as much as I cut, like, you enjoy seeing history. And I saw, you know, one of the people, somebody sent the tweet out, which I know you're, you're, this is to your point that you always make that I'm against, 
but somebody made the point of if you want people to go to games, you have to give them a chance to see historical moments. And if you take that away, you're kind of screwing over your fans, which stop to me, I don't care. That's your argument all the time. Nah, that ship has sailed. <laughs> okay. That ship has sailed. Okay. No, that ship has sailed. I, you know what? I wouldn't. Clayton Kershaw would have to have through seven innings, like 55 pitches for me to leave him in at any point in the season. At any point, but especially now. Yeah. Now. And, and if here's, I guess you don't know what happens if you send him out for the eighth, but for those that are saying like, he's only at 80, you're not making the decision to send him out one more inning. Like if you keep him out for the eighth, you're committing to two more innings, right? Like you're not going to keep for the eighth and then take him out for the ninth. You're basically committing to two innings, which could be 30 pitches, could be more, and he might not even get it. So like you're not just saying like, hey, he could have gotten like, what if he got through the inning with like seven, eight pitches? Maybe, potentially. But you're you're basically committing yourself to two more innings, and who knows what you do to him at that point. So that's a case of baseball strategy that people may disagree on, and especially selfish boomers who are into individual accomplishments. Over team. Sure. Then there's the bottom of baseball, which, you know, once I start talking about this, I go crazy. I guess on one hand, I give this guy credit for being honest, but I got to tell you, if I'm a fan of that team, you already know what's going on. The attitude on this dude, he's what? The son of the owner of the Reds. He's the president of the organization. Certainly has the look of a shiesty baseball owner. <laughs> Right? I don't I don't think you can judge a book by its cover, Steve. I went into this like three weeks ago. Well, one, you know, I banned baseball from the show during the lockout. I'm like, this sure. is stupid. We're not talking about the sport until they decide they want to come back. Until the owners decide they want to let their employees come back and work, we're not talking about it. And then, as we found out, within days, the lockout was for nothing. Because owners still piss and moan that nothing was fixed. And they trade off guys who are actually young guys. There's never a building. Guy gets, you know, four years in, he's good. Jesse Winker, Reds, get out. It's just this constant cycle of turning guys over. It's stupid. So this Phil Castellini does multiple interviews. He's here with uh, WLW. And he talks about fan dissatisfaction with the lack of winning. You had my faith, but you've lost it. Why should that fan maintain trust in you? Well, where are you going to go? <laughs> Let's start there. I mean, sell but the team to who? I mean, well, that's the other thing. I mean, you want to have this debate? You know, if if you want to look at what would you do with this team to have it be more profitable, make more money, compete more in the current economic system that this game exists, mm -hmm. it would be to pick it up and move it somewhere else. Yeah. And so be careful what you ask for. The same old lame-ass <laughs> threat that if we sell it, it's going to move. Shut up. Shut up. And just because these guys are poor when it comes to Baseball ownership, they are. You can't own a baseball team. Well, they can because the numbers tell you two years ago when there was a full season, baseball gave out $180 million plus to teams like the Reds. That's more than enough, and that's before a ticket is sold, any parking spaces, any concessions. I mean, we don't have to keep reading these numbers, but the attitude on this guy, where are you going to go? Not to your games. How about that? And I guess the crackback could be, you know, there's no other entertainment options in Cincinnati. I'll just put put my dollars in my pocket, buy another TV, or just not watch your S team. Because they are going to suck. But the arrogance. And let me tell you, did you see the game today? No. It looked to me like there were less than 5,000 people there. Yeah. And I think that's being generous. So, good move. 
And you know, Rob Manfred won't say a gee damn thing, which he should. Can't have owners saying stuff like that. What else are you going to do? If we sell it, team's probably going to move. I think we're doing the best we can do with the resources well, that we I, have. I, I, we're no more pleased yeah. with the results than the fans. I'm not sitting here saying anybody should be. I'm not polishing any trophies in the office <laughs> yeah. right now, and that's what we're here to do. You know, the bottom line is, and, and I do think we've had to shift the discipline. We've tried a lot of things that didn't work, uh, and they came this close to working and didn't. Uh, nobody's got to right. tell me it you didn't tried work. It. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. So I think we've learned Different from those approach. things. And trust me, Nick is is a is a he is a guy on a that's mission, a guy. and uh, he is a bull in a china shop that has. His way to do it, and that way is to grow your own, and he's doing just that. Okay. So, wouldn't get any of my dollars. None. Zero. I think you're, I think you're wrong. We I tried. Think... We got 83 wins. We, we tried. You know, Jesse Winker's old. Got to get rid of him. We tried. I think the fans were there. They were just all stuck in the bathroom from that awful food. <laughs> the lines is that the what you're saying? There's like what else are you going to do? <laughs> Eat more Skyline? Yeah, stay at, go to well, Skyline and spend your money there. Get, get Gold Star Chili. I think the issue, one of the issues, I think uh, Gold Star might be the official uh, of the ballpark. Uh, I, one of the issues in that, he, I think he said it in the beginning, the first part of that was, you know, where are you going to go? Where, where the team's going to be more profitable? Like, nobody cares about that. Yeah. You know, the first two things he said. He said, make money, be profitable, and be competitive. Yeah. The first, that, because that's what owners care about. Of course. Most of them. Yeah, and to them it is a business, and and I, I get it. All of sports is a business. We get that part of it. But for, they, by the way, they bought know. they bought the team for two hundred and sixty six million. It's estimated to be worth one point nine one point one nine billion. Right. They're already up yeah. seven fifty now. I don't think these guys own everything. Yeah. Your but, profit. But they've they've, tri- they've tripled in profit. They've tripled their initial investment. You're okay, Castellinis. Yeah, your your profit is in the value of the franchise, making it more valuable. And doing it that way, instead of looking at it as how much can we make this year, how much we're going to make in the you know ticket sales and that sort of thing. Look at it in the value of the franchise, and that when you win, the franchise is going to go up even more. Like that's what you look at it as an owner, and too many of them don't, and that that makes them for the most part bad owners. Well, speaking of money, Derek Carr finally got it done. Before we get into the contract and guaranteed money and all that, we do have to say, Derek Carr was. Not the bell of the ball at his draft, right? He talked about that today, actually. A second-round pick. He's now signed two deals, roughly, whatever the number is, $246 million in his extensions. That's quite an accomplishment yeah. for a guy who landed at Fresno State, right? Yeah. And I'm sure even his brother, you know, team, you know, Camp Carr is very tight. His brother, you know, and his brother was a highly accomplished guy who played in the NFL. But, I mean, this is almost $250 million in contracts is freaking really cool. And we'll tell you throughout the show why you should pat Derek Carr on the back because he did you a very big favor. I don't know that he did himself a favor with this contract, but to me, he put his money where his mouth was or at least put money on the table pertaining to what he was talking about, you know, getting Devontae Adams. He delivered. He delivered, and now you've got him through 2025, we think. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Derek Carr is an incredibly good guy. Yeah. Three years, $121.5 million. He deserves that money. Mm-hmm. Here's what I don't like about it. Okay. Cofield and Company. That's coming up in about 40 minutes. Stephen A. didn't like something about the Derek Carr extension. If you didn't hear, terms of the deal, three years added on to his current deal. Pushes it to over $140 million over four years. We'll get to the guaranteed money, which is very interesting. Carr spoke at length about 
taken less because he wanted to te- uh, keep the team together. So what do you think about what I was saying in terms of the accomplishment by Derek Carr and you know getting a second big contract? Good for him, right? Good for him. And he did put his money where his mouth is because it was assumed you pay $29 million a year to Devontae Adams, the quarterback ain't getting 45. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the obviously the, the, the reaction to the to the money right away um was wow that's a whole lot of money but it's 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 not as as you said it's not 40 million a year like that's not what it is well, it's a so, lot it's a lot right, but, but but when you first on, hear 3 years 120 you're like but right. that's 40 million dollars a year it's right, not right. that's not they're not he was going he was making 1987 right. or something this year right. coming up so like that reaction if you're like okay he got 40 million he didn't so don't look at it like that but you're right he got a very good contract he got he got he got what he has earned over over this you know career. He has done a very good job of maximizing his potential, his ability. He has stayed in one place. He said he wanted to stay in one place. He said he wanted to get paid. He did all those things. And in terms of cash, he he kind of has that standard line that he used, but he used it again today and said, "Look, I, I I'm a family guy. I care about my family, and we can walk into Target and buy whatever we want. Like that that's." You know that's his kind of go-to standard line, and and it's true. Like he's he's earned a lot of money over his career. He's going to earn a lot more money, and from where he came from, as you said, of going to Fresno State, not a Power Five school, and not getting drafted in the first round, and being disappointed with going through that first day of the draft. You know, nine years ago, he has done very very well for himself, and he's earned. Not so. It, I think it is a a success story in almost every way. But we will get into. The amount of money he got, the amount of guaranteed money he got, and no trade clause, which is really interesting. But coming back, we'll get to uh, what's going on with the latest Vegas and Oakland and the A's, and then this Reds owner coming out saying to the fans of Cincinnati, what else are you going to do? You're going to come anyway. We're going to spend what we want to spend. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota. Running like a Toyota. Cody Bellinger turns this ball around. Right center field and deep. It is off the very top of the wall. No signal yet. There it is. It's a home run. Now Gavin Lux unloads on a ball. How far does it go? Home run Gavin Lux. They go back to back on back. I thought that was going to be the story, uh, story of the game. <laughs> the uh, Vast Sound crew pulled a couple of uh, home runs there back-to-back and a belly-to-belly. Back-to-back pitches. Bellinger, looking okay. Gavin Lux. But it turned out that Clayton Kershaw pitching a perfect game through seven and then being pulled. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> those baseball fans, I'll point out, older, many of them older than us. Those not as wise when it comes to pitch count and analytics and new age baseball are really peeved. Want to talk some baseball across the board and with Vegas in relation to Oakland, but let's talk about the Dodgers a little bit from the LA Times. Bill Shaken is up with us with Adam and Steve here in Vegas. How are you, sir? Good afternoon. Well, that was quite the event to cover today, so uh, give me your take on you know the... Uh, Modern day baseball mind 
of Dave Roberts and the organization say, you know what, Clayton Kershaw, there's a pitch limit, perfect game, be damned. You know what's the craziest thing about what happened today is you go, boy, what could a manager be thinking? How could he ever have to prepare for pulling a guy from a perfect game? For Dave Rogers, Roberts is not the first time he did it. He did it with Rich Hill back in 2016. It was also after, uh, after seven innings. And in this case, I think you lose the romance because it's Clayton Kershaw, but you have the factor of coming off a short spring. And in 1990, the last time there was a Major League Baseball lockout, Mark Langston of the Angels had a no-hitter through seven innings. None of us had heard of analytics back then. <laughs> Langston actually took himself out of the game. And after the game, we're like, what, what's going on? He said, I was done. I had nothing left to give. That's where I am at this point in the year. And I didn't have a full spring. And, you know, I think the Dodgers and, and Clayton Kershaw being honest with one another, I don't think it was as much the pitch count as it was, you know, here's where I am at this point in the yep. spring. And normally I'd have two weeks left in spring training. Right now I don't. I'm coming off an injury and let's play it safe. I would expect them to kind of say after the game, you know, kind of what they said and, and how you just kind of broke it down. Uh, how much input do you think Kershaw really had into whether he came out of the game or not? Like, if he fought it, do you think they would have let him stay? Probably. You know, maybe on a batter-by-batter basis. But Kershaw has been very clear over the last few years that he doesn't take for granted the chance to win a championship every year. And remember, in the offseason, he was a free agent. So he didn't have to come back to the Dodgers. He could have played at home, played for the Texas Rangers. Rangers came pretty hard after him. He thought about it. Family thought about it. And at the end, he said, you know, where do I have the best chance to win? Clearly, that's the Dodgers. And if the best chance to win means not having a chance for a perfect game today, but having a better chance to pitch in October and stay healthy, which, again, he did not last year, I think he's willing to do that. Speak, I mean, obviously the Dodgers are the favorites, and as you just mentioned, that was his best chance to potentially win a title. Uh, my question on them would be, what could go wrong? What, what could go wrong with this team where they wouldn't be able to win the title? Well, the easy answer would be injuries, but then again, that would be true for every team in baseball. Sure. I think the concern now is when you look at the Dodgers starting pitching depth, it's basically Kershaw, Walker Buehler, and Julio Arias. And then Arias had a start where his velocity is way down from last year. So maybe that's, again, a blip and a function of a shortened spring. Maybe it's not, but he was a 20-game winner last year. And I know in this analytics age, we're not supposed to care about that, but that's still a a very significant accomplishment. And beyond that, the Dodger rotation is a bunch of question marks. You know, Tony Gonsolin, maybe. Andrew Heaney, maybe. But they're the Dodgers. And so they have guys piled up behind that. They have Dustin May coming back from surgery later in the season. They have youngsters and Ryan Pepio and Bobby Miller and Andre Jackson. And kind of thing where you're like, they got guys that are already there as an insurance policy. They got guys in their minor leagues they can trade if they need someone. So, you know, if you go to the bullpen, Kenley Jansen, not there, the rock of the Dodger bullpen for so long. So right at the end of spring training, the Dodgers trade for Craig Kimbrell. And the thing about the Dodgers is 
it doesn't have to work. You know, if you get the Kimbrel who was so great with the Cubs last year, awesome. If you get the Kimbrel that was not so great with the White Sox, again, the Dodgers have the depth. They don't need it to work, and that's a pretty good position to be in. Your best guess on when Trevor, uh, Trevor Bauer will return? I don't have a guess <laughs> on that. Uh, Major League Baseball and the Union actually announced today that they're extending the period of his leave while the Major League investigation goes on. And, you know, I think a lot of that, frankly, is going to be up to Trevor. And what I mean by that is he's maintained he's done nothing wrong. So, therefore, he doesn't warrant any suspension. Every indication we have is that Rob Manfred is going to give him a suspension. Every time a player has been investigated for an incident under the policy that covers domestic violence and sexual assault, that player has negotiated a suspension with Major League Baseball and has agreed not to appeal it. If Bauer's going to stick with, I didn't do anything wrong and I don't deserve a suspension, which everything indicates based on his legal history that he will. Mm -hmm. Remember, he's suing people for defamation right now. Uh, Then he's probably going to get a suspension that's going to take him out of ways. But if he's willing to negotiate, remember, he missed the whole second half last year. If he wants to talk about getting credit for time served, if you will, he can do that if he's willing to negotiate a suspension. So how fast does he get back on a field and what team is willing to take the chance on him? Who knows? But right now he's got to figure out is he willing to accept the suspension or is he not? Because if he's not, it's going to be a while. Yeah, Rob Manfred's always got something to deal with. Uh, now he's dealing with stupid comments, maybe you disagree, of the Reds owner, or at least the president, the son of the owner, who basically told Reds fans, hey, you know what? If you don't like how much money we're spending and the, the team we're fielding, what other options do you have? Ha, 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 ha. What's your reaction when an owner saying that to fans on a team that you know clearly has kind of bailed towards the future? And what do you think Manfred is thinking? Does he come out and say something? The owners are Rob Manfred's bosses, so I'd be surprised if he says anything. But And in fairness, like the Reds have tried to win for a couple of years. You know, the Dodgers ended up making a really great trade because the Reds were trying to win. So the Dodgers took on some of the Reds' payroll and their two best prospects and gave them Alex Wood one year and Matt Camp and Yasiel Puig. And the Reds tried. You know, it didn't work as well as they hoped. They did get to the playoffs. So they tried, and now they're, they're not trying right now. Um, but I don't think that's a strategy you want to advertise if you're the owner because nope. what he said was, look, if we're not here and this team is sold, somebody is going to buy it and move it because this is not an optimal market for Major League Baseball. And the thing is, to me, if that's what you really believe, hire an investment banker, put the team up for sale on the condition that the team has to stay in Cincinnati. It's got a relatively new and fine stadium. Right, it's not right. like that's an issue. Yep. Uh, and you'll find somebody guaranteed who will keep the team in Cincinnati because there's a ton of money to be made in Major League Baseball. The issue in the lockout was not, oh, my God, teams are going out of business. What are we going to do? The issue is just how to split all this money. So 
there's a ton of money. Somebody would buy it and keep the team in Cincinnati. And so, therefore, he's misrepresenting reality, which, of course. again, not a great position to be in. Yeah, empty threat. Uh, let's close on this one. Uh, Vegas has been embroiled in a little battle with uh, the mayor of Oakland who said it was uh, gross here in the desert and we've got a tacky football stadium. And Meanwhile, she and the city council are kind of battling the A's and, and their current project. So what's the word around baseball on the A's? Well, last year at the All-Star Game, which was in July, Rob Manfred said, hey, the Oakland City Council has got to pass the A's proposal like the next week or else I'm going to allow the A's to talk to cities besides Las Vegas. Well, it's a year later. The A's City Council did not pass the proposal the A's wanted. The A's haven't talked to anybody beyond Vegas. Like, nothing's happened. It's, yep. it's a Major League Baseball deadline, like during the lockout. The deadlines are all flexible. I think everybody would like to get some resolution. Uh, you know, Oakland is promising, or the A's in Oakland, I'm sorry, promising a privately financed stadium. I think if they were willing to make the same promise in Las Vegas, they might have a better shot there. They're not willing to make that promise in Vegas because they've seen what Nevada's done for the Raiders, and I think if that's the A's position, it's probably not going to work out real well because nope. the Raiders pretty much sucked up all those dollars. Huh. And I don't think, uh, you know, your listeners might disagree. I don't think baseball is any kind of slam dunk in Las Vegas with the number of games and the time of year you're going to play. And I know the aviators do very well, but, boy, to, to bring in a team that's been stripped down into a market where by the time you could get a new ballpark open, football's already there, hockey's already there. Clearly, Tim Laiwiki is not building an arena if the NBA is not coming at some point. Yep. Major League Soccer might be there. There's not as many dollars as people think in Las Vegas, and those dollars could all be accounted for by the time the A's could get there. What do you think of the note in the New York Post story from last week that Manfred basically has a minimum public pitch that uh, whoever's going to you know move a team, build a stadium, is going to have to throw in you know $275 million, $300 million at a minimum to get that stadium done? Well, since Manfred said he had never had that conversation, I, I'm going to discount the the story, but the sentiment is there. Look, if you're going to get public money, why would you pass it up? Right. Yep. So, I mean, if you're the A's, I understand why you won't say we'll build the privately financed ballpark in Las Vegas that we're willing to do in Oakland. But I don't, and you guys know the market obviously much better than I do, but I don't think that appetite is there. It's so not. sure. It never hurts to ask, but yeah. again, this is not some kind of slam dunk. You know, you look at the Raiders, and you could say, okay, people are going to come for the weekend. It's going to be a big tourist draw because the people from Kansas City or Pittsburgh or wherever, yeah, once every couple of years they'll come in, right? Um, for baseball, for 81 days a year, you think people are coming from Texas to watch the Rangers play Tuesday and Wednesday night in July? They're not. Yeah, and I think most important is the strip corridor may not be behind this one. They had to be talked into the Raiders deal. And the other part of it is the Raiders don't want the A's here, and the Raiders have some muscle. Yeah, the Raiders and A's don't have a great relationship dating back to when they both shared the Coliseum in Oakland. But, again, I think the A's will do what's best for them, and if they can get a good deal in Vegas, they'll take it. Uh, I think they, they're better off in Oakland. I think they know they're better off in Oakland. And when Ma Rob Manfred said a couple of years ago, I think if we leave the Bay Area, we're going to regret it because I don't think we can find a better market. He is 100% right on that. Yep. Bill, thank you so much. Busy day. We appreciate a couple minutes. All right. Take care. There he is. Bill Shaken, LA Times.
Covers baseball, covers everything. We come back, we're going to get into the path to the draft as we move to pick number 25 in April's NFL Draft, April's Las Vegas NFL Draft, as we'll get into the Buffalo Bills and what they're going to do. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. With the 16th pick in the 2013 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select... E.J. Manuel. Wow! Florida State. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. Yep, we save everything. Live uh, audio back in 2014 of E.J. Manuel going to the Buffalo Bills. Adam Hill with the wow, wow, and then wheezing as if he's a smoker. It was rough for you that day. It was rough for you. But now you don't like the Bills, so it doesn't matter. It's a terrible pick. It's a, it's a, it's a sting that just stopped. Just stopped. You could have had the uh, oh, the C.J. Spiller reaction, which was to uh, to basically get in a fight with somebody and then leave, <laughs> leave where we were because it was such a bad pick. <laughs> Let's get into what the uh, New Age Bills are going to do in the draft because they're pretty good at this thing now. Matt Perino, Syracuse.com, covers the Bills, was out here in Vegas for a while. What's up, Matt? What's up, guys? How are you? Uh, we're good. Mocking on bad picks. You know, that's what we do. That's what we do. Although, you know, now the the Bills ain't the Jets. I'm a Jets fan, and the it still stings hearing all the crappy picks of the Jets. The Bills have really turned it around through great personnel work the last three, four years. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Uh, thinking back to that era of E.J. Manuel, it's like it seems like a completely different world that Bills fans live in today. Um, even the bad picks, like, quote-unquote, that Brandon Bean has made, I mean, you could talk about like Tremaine Edmonds, who's a two two time pro bowler and you know, a lot of the narrative amongst the fan base, he's very polarizing and there's people questioning whether or not they should extend him and give him a new contract. Even the fifth year option was met with some um, you know, animosity in the in the fan base. And he's a really good player. It's just he hasn't like become that superstar. And to be drafted in the same year as Josh Allen, that's kind of a tough thing to do over the course of your four year career so far is it constantly compared to a guy that's ascended to maybe the best quarterback in the NFL, if not in the conversation. And so, yeah, that, that's, that's the world that they live in nowadays is even the, even the, you know, what would probably be considered by most teams, a good pick is considered a bad one. Yeah. Let me get it right to that was the 2013 draft with uh, AJ Manuel. Cause we were looking up uh, Derek Carr, who just got an extension today. He was in the 2014 draft. So are the bills at this point, Matt, so good as an organization that they're in this rarefied air where they have a pick in the twenties. And it's like, you know, we're just going to take the best guy available. Exactly. And you know, a lot of people are clamoring for a cornerback. Um, they haven't addressed that position in the draft on day one or day two since Tredavious White in 2017. So the idea is, all right, maybe it's time to kind of dip your toes in the water there at that position, get uh, one of these top-tier players. The problem is there's basically four guys that are considered first-round grades, definitively, right? And so Andrew Booth, I think, is that one guy that has the potential to maybe be on the board at 25, but with injury concerns. If, if not for the injury concerns, he'd probably be off the board, too. So you have to weigh it, like, there's eight picks in this draft for the Bills. Do they get aggressive and try to trade up to get one of those guys, whoever it ends up being? Maybe Stingley is starting to kind of fall in the draft, and he's there at 17, 18, 19, 20, and you want to maybe get aggressive. I think you could do that with this roster. Or you can kind of sit there, have a list of guys on the offensive side of the ball, maybe even including running back, which I know is not a popular idea, but when you have a roster as deep as the Bills have now, 
you have the luxury of going out and saying, okay, this is the flavor of guy that we want, whether it be Breeze Hall, whether it be Kenneth Walker, and say, all right, we're going to get him and pair him with Devin Singletary, and now we just have another weapon for Josh Allen. So I, you talk about corner, and that's the direction I've had them going, uh, because I think not only, you know, people talk about pairing somebody with Trey White. Like, let's not forget Trey White's coming off an injury, and I know, you know, though it's it's not the same injury it was 10 years ago, but there is still got to be some concern that he may not be the same player he was before the injury, right? So that is a position they're going to need to address. Yeah, I think, like, you know, I was talking to Jordan Poyer recently, and he's been he's been recruiting Joe Hayden and, you know, Xavier Rhodes. And there's a couple of decent uh, A.J. Bouyers out there as well, another guy that, not the greatest in the world, but maybe some, some players that you can kind of bring in here and be at least what Levi Wallace was before he left. But to your point, nobody really knows a, when Trey White's going to be ready to be at 100%, if that's not at the start of the season, right now the depth chart after him is Dane Jackson, who they love, by the way, but to go in with him as your number one option, that's a little bit scary. And then Cam Lewis, an undrafted to be. So, yeah, they got to – I think they might – this might be the draft to get a little bit aggressive. But I will say, too, it sounds like Sean McDermott, from our conversations in Indianapolis and then down at the owners' meetings, He's kind of been a little bit more involved, it seems at least, than he's been in years past with, you know, studying some of these prospects. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a couple guys that he hasn't scouted personally to try to, because that's what that's his specialty, defensive back. So if he can find a cornerback that he likes that he can start to develop, then that's probably the direction they go. So the, the Bills are an interesting case, especially in the way that we're going to talk later on in the show about quarterback salaries and cap hits and those sorts of things. Uh, I think a lot of people are under the impression that, wow, the Bills are signing all these guys. Aren't they paying their quarterback a lot of money? The cap doesn't really kick in until next year, 2023, uh, when that cap really kicks in for Josh Allen. So are the Bills – look when you talk about getting aggressive in the draft, are they looking at that as, hey, window is – window is this is when you can actually go get guys, you can try to win and take advantage of a quarterback that's cap hit is not very high still. I mean, definitely, there's definitely urgency right now, knowing the roster that they have and the commitments that they're going to have in the next couple of years. I mean, I mentioned Tremaine at the top. They got Ed Oliver, who's coming off his best season, and now he's on a defensive line that's absolutely stacked with talent. Expectations are that he could maybe have a breakout season, maybe a 10-plus sack season. That's what they've been waiting for since they drafted him. And so if he does that this year, he's going to cost quite a bit. Dawson Knox became one of maybe the top seven tight ends in the league last year and was big in the playoffs again. So he's going to cost a lot of money. And then you got Tremaine Edmonds, and you got Devin Singletary, and there's Jordan Poyer is kind of angling himself for an extension now, which could get costly. He just signed Drew Rosenhaus. And so there's a lot of moving parts here, and then it's going to be a $39 million cap hit, like you mentioned with Josh, next year. Now you can do some you know, gymnastics with that. He's going to be on the roster for a long time, so they can kind of kick that can down the road as much as they want probably. And the cap's expected to balloon. But I think that this is the draft where if you, if you really view cornerback as the one missing piece, or maybe it's like as crazy as it is to sound because they have Stephon Diggs they just extended and they love Gabriel Davis who had four touchdowns against Kansas City. Maybe they go wide receiver just to add another player to the mix. They lost Emmanuel Sanders. It looks like he's going to retire. They brought back Isaiah McKenzie and signed Jamison Crowder. But I think they might want to get uh, maybe a little aggressive there. And it's a deep draft at wide receiver. It has been the last couple of years. Maybe they like one of those guys. That's the play at 25. The voice of Matt Perino covers the Bills, a good friend of the show, uh, here with us breaking down the Bills and what they could potentially do uh, coming up. 
in this draft. Um, you, and you mentioned there's still there are still opportunities. There's guys out there. Like, do you expect them to be in the mix on some of these guys? Uh, you talk, when you talk corner, Stephon Gilmore is out there. That's an interesting name. I don't know that he'd be returning. Mm-hmm. Um, but are, how aggressive do you think they'll be in kind of adding some of these guys here and there? The you know the name of a guy maybe chasing a ring type thing uh, that could come into Buffalo in the next couple of weeks. I think no matter what happens by training camp, one of those guys ends up on the roster just for depth purposes. I mean, historically, they haven't done the last couple of years, but that's because they've likely have Levi Wallace so much who went to Pittsburgh. They've gone out and gotten a, uh, a vet. I mean, EJ Gaines was the was the latest one that uh, they had Philip Gaines there for a little bit for a little while. Then they got Josh Norman. They usually do that. They try to go out and get a guy that wants to come in here and chase a ring. And this year, I mean, Joe Hayden, I mentioned Ployer recruiting him. He was just playing golf with Von Miller, who I'm sure they talked about what it looks like in Buffalo and, and maybe you know joining this secondary with Trey White. There's an opportunity potentially for a guy like Hayden, who uh, probably still has a little bit to offer. But I, you know, I think all of that's well and good. I'm pretty high on Dane Jackson myself. Um, all last off season, whenever Brandon Bean was asked about you know who's a guy on the roster that you think has a bright future that maybe a little bit under the radar, he couldn't stop talking about Dane Jackson. He was solid last season there was a couple games where second year player you know there were some misses but for the most part he held up and some of his best games have been against some of the toughest matchups i mean go back to his rookie year when he was at the goal line one-on-one against deandre hopkins and he shut him down and got a pass breakup and he's a big time player that likes those kind of big time matchups so he they like that they have that and and they've already paid trey white but i just think that you just throw you know coming off a game like you just had against the chiefs where your quarterback went superhero mode, and your your secondary back seven basically was the reason that you lost. I mean, you've got to address that. And right now, they're looking at the same depth chart in all seven of those positions. So I think they got to get aggressive somehow. It's just you know, I, it'll it'll happen sometime before training camp. You mentioned Poyer's contract. Luckily, we'll never be in the dark. We'll always know what he wants because uh, somebody in his family will tweet about it. And uh, she's already tweeting that he wants a new contract, essentially. So that that's fun to monitor. Um, you mentioned the possibilities where they could go. Could potentially running back surprise, maybe wide receiver surprise. Cornerback is the one that everybody has circled. Uh, now we are less than a, you know just a couple weeks away from the draft. We're hearing the name announced here in Las Vegas. Buffalo Bills select. Who is it? You know, um, I'm actually doing a mock draft, and I'm. It's coming out tomorrow, and I'm just like I'm him and Han. I'm trying to go through all the latest intel, and you're hearing guys that are dropping and guys that are rising. It's hard to figure it all out, and I think there could be like a, a super big curveball. Like it might be crazy, but like uh, a Nicobe Dean is somebody that I think is super interesting. If they if they're on the fence at all about Tremaine Edmonds, and you know I don't know if that means they grab a linebacker high to trade Edmonds or grab a linebacker and then just go into his, his fifth year and with the idea that they have a guy on the roster if they choose not to bring him back. But there might be some real value at that position at 25. But in my heart of hearts, I really do think that they prioritize Josh Allen. They get him a wide receiver. And right now, if you, if, if, if you, you ask me, it's probably Chris Olave who maybe is available there from Ohio State. So that's who I'm probably going to have him take. There you go. We always tell people to check out your work. Great job covering the Bills. But more importantly, is there a podcast out there that just explores your life? <laughs> yeah, this uh, he's, a, he's a young um, uh, student at St. Bonaventure on the journalism program. Uh, he's the, he did a story on Ryan Talbot, who's my podcast partner, and he reached out. 
just started a podcast because he's trying to, you know, build his brand. And so it was really well done. Like I was blown away with how well he did in the interview. I mean, he really researched my life and it's like a 45 minute conversation. It, it was, it was pretty cool. It was like, it, it was, a, so I shared it all out. My wife was all emotional. It was a whole big thing. <laughs> I that that awesome. Very excited for wow. this. Matt, we yeah. appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right, guys. Take care. There is Matt Perino, Syracuse.com. Beach, uh, beat reporter for the Buffalo Bills. Giveaway time, 364-1100, We've got tickets to go see Jimmy Buffett. October 15th show. That's a second show. He already had a show at MGM Grand Garden Arena on October 8th. Now he's got one on the 15th of October. Tickets go on sale for the second show. That's this Friday, 11 a.m., axs.com. Did I say caller seven? Screw that. No. We're going to do a perfect game trivia. Perfect. Hey, everyone. Everyone says they know all about all these perfect games. I said to open the show, you don't even know how many there were. You, you can't remember more than like two guys who threw a perfect game. Clayton Kershaw should have been pulled in the seventh as he was. Good move by Dave Roberts. Name one of the two guys. Name one of the Angels pitchers who threw. I should make it really hard. I could go really deep with one of them. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. Name one of the Angels pitchers. Who actually threw a perfect game in the past? Three, six, four, eleven hundred. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.